I really wish gym class were just better for people. Like I wish gym class, you learned to either like lift weights or learn something or like health class. Like I know more about STDs from health class than I didn't get anything about like anything to actually do with my health. Like nobody talked about like heart rate or blood pressure. I just like got shown pictures of things to scare me. What's up? My name is CJ Finley and this is the Thrive On Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Dr. Kevin Kirsch. He is an educator, sports performance coach, physical therapist, and the founder of Blue Door Physical Therapy. His mission is to help athletes of all ages achieve their physical potential and avoid the debilitating cycles of injury that derail so many people's lives. Kevin's goal is to help each client realize their individual potential by providing proper education, enhancing movement capacity, and instilling the right mindset on how to address injury and pain. It is his sincere belief that almost all major sources of pain and injury can be remedied quickly by establishing a foundation of movement and education on how to self-treat. So if you are someone who is looking to improve your overall training capabilities and reduce your chance of injuries while doing so, this conversation is for you. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Kevin Kirsch. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And I'm tuning in virtually here today with a longtime friend of mine, Kevin Kirsch. And I'm very excited because for this whole summer, I've been training extremely hard. And if you've been following me, you've been seeing, I've been running, lifting, climbing mountains, doing all the above. And today I get to pick the brain of somebody that I see as an expert in the area of physical wellness. And most of the content out there around this area I see can be a little bit to the point of do I really know what this person, does this person really know what they're talking about? And that's where Kevin knows his shit, uh, has been through the ringer himself and is really helping people kind of fix their injuries and get better. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So how are you doing today, Kevin? Thanks for having me, bud. I'm doing good. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Kevin has a, uh, a dope setup here. He's sitting in his, his home gym, uh, in his garage and he basically is living uh, what we're about to talk about. So we're going to get right into it just like we always do. And every episode uh, prior to the episode, I have the guests fill out a little form. What are they like want to talk about? What are they passionate about? And something piqued my interest in your form where you were like fitness and rehab and how our current medical and educational system are failing us in those areas. And I want to kick it off with when you say they are failing us in those two areas, what do you mean? Yeah, I led with a doozy there. So my background is that I have my doctorate in physical therapy. So I went to school for that, um, graduated eight years ago now. So I signed up for that program out of high school. I applied as a senior in high school to my college curriculum and then three years right into grad school. I thought I was going to like learn cool exercises and stuff. Like I, I really thought like, oh, I'm going to like learn all these cool stretches and exercises and how to train people. And then 
day one of PT school, they're like, yeah, so when you're in the hospital and you're like managing people's lines, you got to be like really aware of this. And I was like, looking around, I was like, we, we go to the hospital, <laughs> like what I'm here to like be the muscle guy. And, um, you know, that's because we have to take a board exam. It's super comprehensive. There's physical therapists doing great work in hospitals, like nursing homes, pediatrics, like physical therapy is a very broad field, but you leave school as this generalist and you know more about everything than you ever will. Like I probably couldn't go past that board exam again because everything you need to know. But at that point, I wasn't really good at PT and a lot of my classmates weren't really good at PT and we didn't learn a single thing about how to train or lift weights. And then we're seen as the experts in what to do when you hurt yourself lifting weights or training. And there's just a disconnect there in how we're educated. And then the system that we're put into to treat, to treat people is just awful right now with insurance and everything. So I don't know if you want me to go down that rabbit hole, but I could for a while. You're working independent, right? You have your own business. Yeah. So I started my own clinic kind of just off on the side in late 2020, um, just seeing some people out of my garage. People were not having the best results with their PTs. So every now and then someone would be like, hey, can you see a friend of a friend? And I would do that. And coincidentally, it just grew pretty significantly. And funny story, I basically met up with, I, I hurt myself rock climbing. I live in Boulder, Colorado, so I have to learn to rock climb. Turns out we <laughs> have to. Yeah. When you're 210 pounds, you're not really that good at rock climbing. So I tore something in my finger and I was looking for a doctor to go see just for, you know, let's diagnose how bad this tear actually is. And, um, on that website, there was this picture of like, Hey, meet our new physiatrist. And it was this guy who I had trained back in Philadelphia 10 years earlier when I was in college. Um, didn't even know he was in medical school. So I reached out to him and was like, Hey, let's grab some coffee he asked me about like my setup and I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I see patients. It's called blue door physical therapy. And he's like, Oh cool. You know, maybe I'll send you someone every now and then. Well, on Monday he texts me and he's like, Hey, what's your fax number? And I'm like, I don't have a fax number. <laughs> um, so I'm like signing up for a fax service online to like get a fax number, send it over to his medical assistant. And he sent me like 10 people that day. And I'm like, Oh crap, this is like a high level doctor. I can't be like, Oh, come see me in my one car garage. So I like that week, I basically like found a lease. I called all these people and was like, Hey, um, so our clinic, it's like under construction right now. There's been some construction delays. Like I'm happy to come see you at your house. So I basically had to like bootstrap this thing together and like lease a space and got it off the ground really quickly. But, um, the part of that, that is about our medical system is I purposely chose not to take people's insurance. Um, physical therapy is billed in 15 minute codes. So the longer you are in the clinic and the more often you're in the clinic, the more money the clinic makes. And that's not my goal in rehab. My goal is to empower you to get better on your own. So it's like, I want to see someone between like two and eight times if I need to, you know, if it's post-surgery, that's one thing, but like, I don't want someone in here three times a week for 12 weeks. Like that's not my goal. I want it to like maximize the patient's time and my time, to be honest, like I don't want to see 20 people a day. So it's, it's ass backwards and everything else in life, you get paid more for the outcome. So let's, let's keep it in the sports, right? If you're yeah. an athlete, you don't get paid based on how long you're on the field. You get paid for what you do when you're on the field. And it's crazy to me that the healthcare system is the opposite, whether you're a doctor or your physical therapist, it's focused around churn and keeping people coming back. Rather, it should be focused on 
how do we get people to have the end result that they're looking for? And then I get paid better for bringing the results that they want. But hopefully that's why we have conversations like this. So we can be the leaders of bringing that change. And that's where I'd love to dial it back a little bit where you were talking about how you just picked this path. And I would love for you to kind of talk about like, why did you pick this path? Go a little bit more in depth on that. What struggles did you have in terms of your own physical health and well-being that might've led you down a path of helping other people with theirs? So it's interesting. I like had this memory yesterday of like, I got into lifting weights when I was like 15, 16 years old. I just really enjoyed it. It was something I did on the side to, you know, really just to look better. Like it wasn't really for athletic performance, but it did help my soccer career a little bit. And I remember talking to like friends, parent or something and saying like, oh yeah, you know, I think I kind of want to open like a sports performance facility when I get older. And like, they immediately were like, that's a horrible business model. It's really hard to make money. You shouldn't do that. And I'm like, and that like, I was 17 years old. So that like just stuck with me. And like, I was like, oh, it's a terrible business model. You can't make money. <laughs> this person knows that. So that just got dismissed. And then I don't remember what you were thinking at the time, um, you know, when we played soccer together growing up, but like I was going to be a professional soccer player, even though I wasn't good enough to be a professional soccer player. Like that was in the back of my mind. So I was just looking for schools to go to and St. Joe's is what the school I ended up going to and them and a few people recruited me and they all had this affiliation with Thomas Jefferson University, which is the medical school downtown. And you could do this three and three program to get your PT degree. And my dad pointed out, he's like, Hey, PTs are never going to not have a job. Basically, like people are always going to hurt themselves. You should sign up for this. So I really just got pushed into it. And it turned out really well for me in the grand scheme of things. But it definitely was like, I had my own injuries, like through college, I had to stop playing soccer because of two hip labrum tears. And I went to PT and it was fine, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in the grand scheme of things. Cause I worked as a personal trainer. I worked as a CrossFit coach for a while. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll open a CrossFit gym. I'm really glad I didn't do that in hindsight. Um, but there was just a lot of things around that, that I was kind of struggling with. And to be like transparent in really early 2020, I was actually like considering leaving the field for a while. I like was considering going into fire academy or maybe like police academy or something like that. I was going to do some stuff on the side training people through the pandemic and a few things like I was able to kind of like recenter and refocus and realize that like working one on one was what I really enjoyed with people. So it's been kind of like a weird career. And now I'm super stoked with where I'm at because I'm doing my own thing. I, I basically realized I'm completely unemployable and I just need to uh, do my own thing. So that that's kind of where I ended up with it. And it's been really good what you said about like the struggle with my own injuries because I've broken myself in a million ways so I can relate to my patients in a lot of ways. You know, I've had the 10 out of 10 back pain. I've had the shoulder injury. I've had the hip tears. So that kind of struggle, I think, helps me relate to people a little bit more. I think a lot of people when they come into an office and like you tell your doctor something and they have no experience with it, they just know what they read in a textbook. It doesn't come across as genuine as you want it to be, even though they do want to help people. I want to go to somebody that's also an athlete. So it's just like, if I'm injuring myself in a certain way, I want to go to somebody that you don't have to be doing the same exact thing as me, but you can interpret how I'm going about my life and you don't judge that lifestyle. And that's where you asked, what was I thinking? 
when we were growing up. So just to give a little backstory to to those listening, Kevin and I were on the same soccer team since like from age, I want to say like nine. Yeah, I think you nines. Yeah. Till like eight, over 18. And yeah, we grew up with a lot of our teammates and some of them went on to be pro. Some of them went, played D1 or D3 like I did. Everybody had an impact on that sport. And one thing that I think back, it's funny how the universe works where we're talking about this topic. The reason I didn't go further was literally because I didn't work out. So one of the reasons I work out intensely today is I don't regret my path because I wasn't really passionate about soccer anyway. I kind of did it by default because our team was really fucking good. And every other sport that I played, we weren't that good. So I just chose the team that was the best. And I was like, all right, I guess soccer is my sport. I'm pretty decent at it. My, my All my friends are really good at it. So I'm just going to stay doing this thing. And in high school, Kevin and I grew up in New Jersey. You were on a team as well where it's just like, if you have one or two or three good players, like you could do fairly well as a high school team. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it was, I did good enough. And I feel like I didn't have to go to the gym, but the reality was I was too scared because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And that's where going back to the education, the beginning of rehab is prehab is like Mm -hmm. knowing what you're doing in the gym is in my eyes, the beginning of rehabilitation because to never have to like rehab something starts with what are you doing right when you get to the gym? And for me, like for athletics, the one thing I look back on growing up in the nineties and two thousands is like, why wasn't our team prehabbing like why weren't we doing exercises and things that were going to help us and even in college like we didn't do anything that was it was all right run three miles in under 18 minutes there was like no purpose behind what we're doing in the gym to translate to the field and it made no sense to me and that's how i got addicted to it was just like okay how does this training help me in all other areas of life so that's where i'd I'd love to dive in because i watch a ton of your content around how small movements and small things help you in other areas. But I want to reverse that question where it's what are people doing on a regular basis that is leading to most of the common injuries that you see? Because anybody that's listening on the other end of this, that's really the pain point of society is people are doing these things consistently, negatively over and over and over again. And then it leads to they sign up for that CrossFit class and that consistent negative trait or habit that they've had then gets extrapolated in the CrossFit. It intensifies and then they come and see you. Yeah. So it's a loaded question and I want to make sure I don't like say anything like too <laughs> outlandish here. Cause like the research on this stuff is it's hard to see. Like there's research out there that says posture doesn't matter. Posture can't predict pain and and people go too far with this in one direction. So I really try to like remain in the middle ground with stuff as much as I can. I don't like make bold claims, but what I do see on a regular basis is people have compensations. Like basically whether it's the sports we play, the injuries we obtain doing something random, it can be genetics. If we want to blame our parents to a point, I think it's truly that we go through our biggest growth spurt while we're sitting in chairs eight hours a day. Like I'm not the anti-sitting guy. I'm sitting right now talking to you like sitting's fine. But when we go through puberty, we're sitting in a chair in school all the time. So like, and then 
what you said, we didn't do prehab. Like I would just sit in the dumbest posture all day in school, not stretch, go out and play <laughs> soccer for four hours, then go lift weights or something ridiculous. And like, basically what were you eating in between all that too. Oh man, that's, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. So I would save my lunch money, which was like $4 at the time, because I could, in my opinion, I would skip lunch, get more bang for my buck at the after school store, which was eating like a big Texas cinnamon roll and like two bags of Cheez-Its. And like, I was like an all state soccer player, like on that diet. And I look back and I'm like, man, if anyone had just been like, eat a vegetable or some protein, who knows what could have happened. So yeah, you can like. <laughs> we would have been superhuman like yeah. that that's how i look at it like i literally would buy it you mentioned cinnamon roll like i would do the same thing i would bring my lunch and have lunch money and then i would save the lunch money for like cookies and hot pockets and oh like, yeah that would be my pregame like, yeah did you guys have like the warm cookies like the yes. like the 40 cents cookies but if you bought three it was only a dollar ten yeah yes that was, i think yep. ours was four for a dollar Oh man, Burlington Township. Hook you up with cookies right yeah. here. Sorry to go off on this tangent, but that's <laughs> again. I think this this connects to to most people. It's just like everything in between that we just didn't know, and that's why I love conversations like this because somebody on the other end of this is going to hear something that they potentially didn't know. So I'll let you continue. With yeah, your train of thought. of course. So basically, like you then go out and tell your body to sprint and jump and run and do all these things. And your body's capable of doing these things. So most people who are exercising, they're capable of performing the movements they want, but they're going to do it in the way that their body is allowing them to do it. So it's like you have this kind of, I refer to it as the path of least resistance for movement. So it's like if your body is strong in an area and you are asking it to deadlift or squat for the first time, and you're really strong in your quads because you played soccer, you're probably going to find a way to leverage your quads to do those movements more, even if the movement is intended to be like a glute exercise or a core exercise, like your body's going to compensate depending on your intention of the exercise. So I don't want to make this a pick on CrossFit podcast, but like you, it could be a, any high intensity class of any point. If it's like, Hey, let's just get 20 squats done as fast as possible. Your body's just going to go up and down 20 times using whatever it knows to use it's not going to be thinking about doing this squat in like oh let's balance our glutes and let's keep our core engaged it's just an up and down type thing so i see people perform exercises without intention or like movements without intention as one of the biggest factors for like these injuries now i don't want that to be like oh you need to square up and like load your core to like pick up the bag of groceries like it's more that you need to train well with intention of how you're moving so then in regular life like you could just do whatever you know like i would do things all the time like picking up my daughter like someone would look at that and be like oh that's terrible posture but i've kind of like trained enough in good fashion that my body can handle those like weird postures that aren't ideal essentially so i think that gets to your question but i'm happy to talk about that more yeah, it does. And what makes me come to mind is like you, you train for the days where you can't be in good posture. Like that's why we train because on the days where it is hard and you have to, like, for instance, I just moved into this new home and I had to unload out of storage. I, I chose to pay a buddy of mine instead of a store, instead of a moving company the second time around. And you're jumping on the truck, jumping off the truck, moving really awkward loads and, and, strapping them together, unstrapping them, sweating like bullets because it's 100 degrees here in Austin, Texas. And 
the end of the day, I reflected and it was like, damn, I could also train right now. That would have smoked me. First of all, I wouldn't even be able to have done that with just one other person. My other buddy trains like I do as well. So shout out to Ross, man. But that just reminded me that I train for the days like that where something goes wrong or I need to do something out of the ordinary and my body can handle it. And that's where most people are doing the exact opposite. They are doing things to their body that they shouldn't be doing all the time. And then when their body needs to activate on a certain time, like family reunion and we're playing volleyball or something like that, where they also think, okay, I'm going to go back to my 18 year old self and everything's going to be just fine. But the body and the cells in the body, like we don't live forever. Like they do start having an approach that isn't as optimized as it was when you were younger. So at a cellular level, we're not as optimal as we were 20 years ago. And a lot of people tend to forget that. And obviously the things that are ingesting, most people don't switch. They never switch from the cookies over to high protein, uh, healthy fats, some veggies. They don't do that. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Kevin. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Dr. Kevin Kirsch. What I'd love to kind of dive into a little bit more of is I asked you what is like the common thing around most people, what are, what are they doing that is going to hurt them? And you deflected a little bit, which would obviously be posture um, and other things, which again, everything we're talking about, you can argue and debate, but at the end of the day, training cures a lot of that. That's been proven scientifically. If someone were to train to prehab, as I was saying, what are some of the standard things and protocols that they should be following that might get overlooked because today it's all about flash and doing these crazy things. Um, and I, I partake in that just because I have fun, but I'm also built on some foundational principles that I love watching Kevin teach every single day. So would love for you to go down that path. Yeah. So I, I deflected a little bit, but I also have some pretty strong opinions about posture. So like, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, my thing is we need to be able to kind of, what I, I call the stack and have some videos on this and we can hopefully link something, but basically, you know, 
podcasting, trying to describe movement is kind of hard, but you should be able to kind of keep your rib cage right over your pelvis for the majority of the movements you do, particularly in the weight room. Now, that doesn't mean you should be like staying in that posture all the time, but a lot of us are overextended. You know, you look at the average person and they've been told to pull their chest up for posture, pull their shoulder blades down and back. And that's actually not really the best thing. Like the rounded shoulders or the up, like the curved upper back are often a symptom of things that are happening down below because we don't really know how to even sit or stand that well. So when we try to like pull our shoulders back or you see some of those like posture fixes on the Instagram or something like they're just correcting the aesthetics, but they're actually really driving home a bad pattern. That's you're just not strong in that pattern. Essentially, you're putting too much load on the backside of the body. And I think that that's a common cause of low back pain is that kind of tilted forward pelvis, hyperextended back. And you kind of see people, it's like, you know, you're almost sticking your butt out behind you, which Instagram hasn't helped in teaching people how to pose that way. But the way that I look at it is you should be able to first get in that stacked position. And that's where nuance comes in with training people. Cause people like you and me who are athletes, who are guys who have been lifting for a while, we're probably stiff and we probably need to work on challenging that position. So we might need to do like our presses or our rows in this kind of like half kneeling lunge position where we're almost getting a stretch of our quads while we do a row. And it's going to feel weird and awkward, but you're kind of teaching your body to like relax the quad and engage the obliques to maintain that position while you get strong. Now, a hypermobile person like, you know, my wife, for example, was a very high level gymnast and she won most flexible at gymnastics camp. So she was like the most flexible of the flexible people. She needs to do more things that like provide her stability. So she might need to like use a machine that she can like brace her back against as she does a row. So we know she's getting the proper thing. But I think people, I mean, obviously the average person doesn't really know that or doesn't think of that. And that's where like good trainers, good PTs come into play to like guide someone down that path. I then think of it as like learning these basic things. So like upper body training to me is like learning to move your shoulder blade around your rib cage. So we've probably been cued like shoulders down and back for everything because that's what powerlifting did once upon a time. We need to be able to reach forward and pull backwards. And like having that stacked position is the first key to that. For lower body training, I look at it as we should be able to move very vertically and we should be able to move very horizontally. So a squat, for example, should be the pelvis going straight up and down. A deadlift should be the pelvis going backwards and forwards. And when you look at the average gym goer, or you look at someone, you know, again, I'm going to pick on CrossFit in a CrossFit class, their squats and their deadlifts look exactly the same. And they're just kind of doing this hybrid knee and hip pattern that gets you strong, but it only gets you strong in that pattern. Whereas if you can train the ends of the spectrum, like if you can get good at going up and down and you can get good at going front to back, you have a lot more leeway for things like moving an awkward object. You know, I saw you putting your Peloton in the back of the truck recently. Like you're not going to be able to perfectly hinge or perfectly squat to do that. But if you've trained the ends of the spectrum, you're going to be a lot more bulletproof to that situation. So hopefully that makes sense. It's funny you mentioned the Peloton thing at the end of that. My buddy sent me a DM and he's like, you're using too much of your upper body, not using enough legs. And I was like, so? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's not a big deal unless it, Unless it's a big deal, you know, yeah, like it's, so. it's, it's the end of the day and this Peloton is really heavy and I just want to get it in the truck and get on with my life. Um, but no, that was a great representation of like what my training has allowed me to do. And exactly what you're talking about is 
becoming good at up and down and left and right and the the, the simple things. And this conversation is making me realize how much more I need to talk about it. Because if you look at a lot of my content, like I've been doing this for, I mean, since we were 16, 17 years old, just like you and a lot of trial and error over the years. And what that has allowed me to do is build a really strong foundation around squat, bench press, deadlift, knowing what my capabilities are in a safe environment. Like I know that my weakness is deadlifts. And if I deadlift too much, my back starts hurting. And I know why my back starts hurting because I don't focus on some of the areas that I should be focused on every single day in the little moments and working on the, the little types of movements that would help my deadlift. But it's one of those things where do I want to spend all that time improving my deadlift? No, I just need to be good enough to a certain point that allows me to pick up a Peloton and put it in my truck without feeling like I'm going to die the next day, which I was completely fine. So it's something where I think you hit it the nail on the head with the word intention. Most people don't even know what that means though. So when you say be intentional when you're walking into the gym and we've mentioned CrossFit multiple times here and the, the movements in CrossFit are very valuable. It's how we do things though, that is the problem. And I'm a big believer in how you do one thing is the way you do everything and teaching people that living intentionally in all areas, especially in the gym is going to have a payoff. So when you say being intentional, what does that look like? Like run me through like specifically what that looks like. So somebody that's hearing this could think through this and intentionally do this next movement or go to this next gym or this next workout in a higher level capacity. It's what you said. Like I've been on this journey, the same thing. I've been lifting weights half my life now and I've been training people for, you know, over 10 years, which is crazy to think about. But I, like I've gone through this phase too, where it's like, you think a movement, it's like, oh, I can squat X amount or, oh, I can deadlift X amount. So I must be like safe. Well, like for me, like I could deadlift like 515 when I was in doing a rotation in a nursing home and a 90 pound lady fell over and I caught her and my like had the 10 out of 10 back pain. So like that 90 pounds, even though I could deadlift 500, like I wasn't moving intentionally when I was doing these deadlifts and I had this severe pain and a, a quick tangent on that, like the funny thing about like our, our medical system, like go back to the original question. Like I then had to do, I had to rehab myself. So I quickly did everything I was told to in school, which was like, do these back extensions, these prone press ups, like your disc is popping out, like go into extension and push the disc back in place. And it just made me significantly worse, like for over the next 20 hours. So I had to then figure out how to do things correctly for myself. And then I realized, oh, there's some nuance to this. It's not this playbook of like this injury happens, you do this thing. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my intentional journey of like, oh, I need to learn how to like move better as I train. So when looking at the average person, you know, the first thing I always think of is like, let's stop dividing the body into these parts. So like, I don't know why it happened. I don't know if it's still like Arnold's bodybuilding book from like the eighties, but like it blows my mind when the average gym goer, who's like a 55 year old woman who comes in and tells me like, yeah, so I do like buys and back on this day and I do chest and tries on this day. And they just have no idea. Like they're, they're just doing what they're told. It's not hmm. their fault, but it just doesn't make any sense. So I start to think of it as like, let's look at upper body movement patterns. Let's look at lower body movement patterns. And the upper body you should have, you know, 
some kind of press. It should be horizontal, it should be vertical and everywhere in between. And it can be down too. you know, a dip is a downward press. So you kind of have this like arc that you can work on, but you need to train through like that full range of motion as much as possible. So it's like, if I'm doing a row, I really want to reach forward and then pull back. I think a lot of people, they just pull back to start and they kind of half do the range of motion and they do that because they could do more weight or it's what they've seen someone talk about. So I think of just like my biggest upper body cue for people is reach, reach forward at the top of your rep and then reach forward as you're bracing yourself basically. So it's a stretch back and a reach forward. When you look at the lower body, it's mostly, are you moving somewhat like vertical from time to time? So you're doing something that resembles a vertical squat. So that can be a leg press. It can be a hack squat. And then are you doing something where you're moving horizontal? That can be a Romanian deadlift. It can be um, a hip thrust. Like both of those things are kind of moving that hinging pattern a little bit more. And honestly, I think a lot of people, when they start, they could literally do like one press, one row, one squat, one hinge. And you could do that for the next two years and make a ton of progress. And you want to get good at how you do those things first. Like, yes, weight matters, but it's more about how you're doing the quality of movement. So when I train someone, like I try to give them skill-based activities to work on the movement pattern that then translate to those bigger activities. So I always teach like a foam roller squat, like up and down a wall. It's basically like a made up leg press type thing, but I want someone to feel keeping a totally vertical torso as they go up and down versus if I just teach them a squat out in space, their chest is going to go down. Like they just don't have the flexibility to do it. I'll also teach a single leg deadlift before I teach any sort of bilateral deadlift because I want someone to be able to kind of move into and stretch their glutes a lot. So it's like, you need to feel that stretch versus just like, Oh, a burn essentially. Hopefully that makes some sense. It does. And you mentioned get good. And I think this just goes back to entire systems that we were talking about where they put us, whether it's healthcare or just standard education system, they, they put us into these environments where they're defining good as a metric of grade number. And I think as human beings, we carry that then over into the workforce, our training, our livelihoods, especially like I notice when I'm, I'm married, right? And you're not supposed to do this when you're in relationships. It's like you start keeping count of who does what and the score, right? You, we just naturally are like trying to keep score. And whether it's a good thing or bad thing, I'm not going to debate that here. But the good that you're mentioning, I think a lot of people when they go to the gym, it's like, ah, like I can't bench a certain weight or I can't squat a certain weight or I can't deadlift a certain weight. So I'm not good at it. Or they look at the weight as I'm going to do whatever it takes to lift the weight so that I am quote unquote good at it, but I don't care how I actually lift the weight. So when you define good, how does somebody that is novice go into training and understand that they're doing good, even though the score on the scoreboard might not be what they want to see. Yeah. So that's a great question. And I often like, I try to tell people this like early on. So I use something with a lot of my clients called the double progression method that I, um, I got from this company that I've used for my programming for the past year or so. Cause it's nice to like, just turn off my brain and go do a workout. Um, they're called rebel performance. And 
basically it's like people have a rep range. So it's like, let's just say you're going to go in and do three sets of five to 10 reps on a squat. And you're going to pick a weight that you can do for somewhere in that rep range. And you're going to stick to the rest period written down and you're going to do that weight. So you walk in and you do, you know, three sets of five. The next workout, your goal should just to beat that by one rep. So it's go in, do the exact same weight, one more rep. And if you're feeling good, sure, you know, maybe you just do three sets of 10 and then you're good. If you hit the top end of that rep range, then you up the weight. I'm sure you did the same thing when you started out. It's like, oh, let's go just five pounds heavier each workout. And it's like, well, if you went five pounds heavier each workout for a year, you'd be 260 pounds heavier on that lift at the end of this year. And I'm not bicep curling 280 right now. And I doubt you are either. So it's like, we need to have other ways to kind of measure progress and looking at it. It's very basic, but you just look at that total volume. So it's like one, are you moving in a way that you're feeling what you're supposed to be feeling in these movements? So I think that's the first thing when I say good, it's like, if you're doing squats, why are you doing squats? And you just want to ask that deeper question. I feel like sometimes it's like, am I doing squats? Cause squats are good for me. Or am I doing squats? Cause I want my glutes to get bigger or do I just want to have stronger quads? And so whatever that intention is, you want to see, are you actually achieving that? So if you're doing squats because they're good for your glutes, but your glutes have never been sore after a squat workout, then you're probably not using your glutes while you squat. So then maybe let's look at how you're squatting. So we know you're using your glutes. Then if you're getting the intention, I think of it as just slowly increasing that volume over time. So just sets times reps times weight. And when you start to stall, you just change up the rep scheme. You know, if you were doing sets of 10 to 20, now maybe do sets of five to 10 or something like that. So it's a very long game. You need to incentivize yourself, but you don't get this reward for like hitting a certain weight. That's like, I work with a, a high school football team here in Boulder and they're really good relative to where we are in Colorado. Like we're probably the best team in Northern Colorado. Most of the good teams are down South. We've made some state finals before we've never won one, but when I work with the freshmen or like even just even the, some of the seniors at this point, they just want to hit a certain number. And I'm like, are you going to walk out on the field and be like, Hey, I benched 225 the other day. So, uh, I'm going to be better than you. Like, it doesn't work that way. And they'll like just chase these numbers. And I always joke with the freshmen. I'm like, guys, no one's going to be impressed by your 135 bench press. Like, trust me, it's not that cool. Let's look at this in the long term. And I think just seeing that long term game of fitness is like the biggest thing. And, just being consistent, moving well for a long time is going to yield better results for people than any sort of like crash intensity. And it's the same thing with diet or anything like that. Like if you just hit it really hard one day, it doesn't really go that well if you don't do anything well for the next six days. So a little tangential there, but hopefully like that kind of paints the picture of like how I think of that without being able to like show you exactly. Yeah. The word that comes to mind is incremental. Mm -hmm. incremental change, make incremental changes and iterations. And you also mentioned the word volume, and that's mm -hmm. not a word that I really understood. I think for at least half of my training years, where especially in soccer, we should have been training more for volume than I was trying to bench press 225. Yeah. Like that literally mm -hmm. was one of my goals. And now I can do it. It's pretty easy. But back then it was the only goal. And when you mention why, why is that the goal? I think this, this is why I love lifting because it parlays into so many other areas of life. 
how many people are just going to their job without asking like, why do I have this job? Why am I doing what I'm doing? If you just do that in all areas of your life, lifting, whether you like it or not, it's going to teach you to do that. Because eventually, if you're not lifting right, you're going to get hurt. And then you're going to be like, why did I get hurt? And then you start like going down that rabbit hole. So for me, I love how you talked about the incremental change because I would be the guy that put the five to 10 to 20 pounds on. And then eventually it's like, okay, I can bench a hundred pounds over my weight, but I'm never going to bench 400 pounds over my weight. So now that I can bench a hundred pounds over my weight, why does it even matter that I can bench a hundred pounds over my weight? If I can't bench a hundred pounds over my weight and do it 30 times in a way that is not going to injure me. And that's where you mentioned volume. Then I started looking like, okay, if I hit this one goal, how do I increase my volume of exercise in a way that is still maintainable, incremental, but also allows me to go about my daily life? Because the other thing about lifting is if you lift super hard, you have other responsibilities in your life. And this is literally a direct story for me is like, if I hurt my back when I'm doing a deadlift and then I can't get out of bed to go do something, Aaron's pissed at me. Like she's not going to be happy that I'm like walking around because I had an ego and was lifting heavy in the gym. So I started to reflect and say, okay, but if I can increase my volume incrementally, that's going to help me perform better as a husband, a dad, a friend, family member, because I can literally just take more load throughout the day rather than a very, I would say vertical load in one little moment. It's like, okay, cool. You, you deadlifted 500, but can you run six miles and then lift and then be a good husband and father? And can you do all these things in succession? And can you do it day over day over day over day? And that all starts with the question of like, why am I doing this in the first place? And that's where I want to take this next question for your programming and, and what you're doing. What does that look like to ask them why they're doing what they're doing? Is that part of your programming or are you spending time with them on their why? Yeah, a great question. And I think that's huge. And I think that's part of what makes what I'm doing or what good therapists and good trainers are doing is diving into that why with people. So it's going that deeper level. It's asking, okay, what are your goals? What activities can't you do right now that you want to be doing, whether that's because of injury or because you're just not fit enough. And then sometimes asking that deeper level, you'll have kids come in who are a soccer player or something. And they're saying, I can't squat. I had a football player. He wasn't on the team that I coach, but he had this patella issue. He had this weird, his patella never fused. He basically had three patellas. It was kind of wild. So he, that's the kneecap. Sorry. I'm talking in medical terms. That's fine. Um, I love it. Great football player. Like going to be able to play in college next year. He's a senior. His knee hurt when he was squatting and it turned into like, okay, well, why are you squatting? And he's like, well, to get better at football. And I'm like, well, if every time you squat, your knee is hurting, so you can't go practice the next day, do we need to squat? And squatting is a very beneficial exercise. So sure, we'll work on squat form. But in the meantime, let's stop squatting in a way that's going to take away from the actual activity that you're trying to do. You're not a power lifter, you're a football player. So let's make sure you can play football. And I think sometimes we just get dogmatic and like, I have to do these exercises to achieve this goal. But looking at the why, like you said, it's super important. And I think that's where it matters for each client. Like that kid wants to be good at football. You aren't trying to be the best soccer player anymore. So like 
improving a one rep max or improving a 20 yard dash actually probably isn't going to be that beneficial for you. It can be fun to do, but like you said, you have to handle volume through a large work day. You have to keep your energy up so you can do a lot of things. That's a specific goal. We would have to train for you in a different pattern where we layered on a lot of volume and a lot of high level work. It's funny what you said about the three mile and 18 minute test. So like for soccer, we did a mile my freshman year. So a mile and 530 or less. That was awful. It's the fastest mile I've ever run. And I probably never want to run a mile that fast ever again. I did a two mile test in 12 and I did a three mile test in 1830. And none of those are relevant to playing soccer. So it's like, why are we training for that? And I don't think anyone ever asked that question. It's just, this is what you do in the off season. So when we're looking at what you want to get better at, we have to actually identify, are you getting better at the things you're getting better? I put up a post about this yesterday. It's like, okay, your bench press went up 10 pounds, but if you are now unable to move laterally to stop a guy on the football field or whatever you're playing, then that extra 10 pounds doesn't matter. For the average person who's coming in to train, they probably just want to feel good and have more mm -hmm. energy. We need to train in a way that makes you feel good and has more energy. We don't need to give you this workout that's going to beat you down so you're so sore that you can't pick up your kid the next day. I've had to learn this with my own training since having a daughter. I had one workout where I just like torched my hips, like my glutes were just done. Well, that was the night that my daughter decided she didn't want to sleep. So I had to carry her around on my chest. And basically for the first few weeks of her life, like that was the foolproof, like she'll be calm. My wife can get some sleep. So we have a park across the street from our house. I took 32,000 steps with her that night, like just walking her around, trying to get her to sleep. And my glutes were so sore from the workout that I kind of started to walk in a way that put more load on my low back and I didn't hurt myself. But the next day I woke up and my back was just torched. And then I wasn't helpful the next 24 hours to my wife because I couldn't hold my daughter. So I had to look at my like why of training there and be like, Hey, let's, let's back off the volume and make sure we're doing things in a way that I have more energy. Whereas if my goal is to, you know, have bigger muscles, like sure, I have to hammer that volume, but bigger muscles doesn't necessarily help me right now. So when looking for like a trainer or whoever, it's like, they should be asking that question. And a PT should be asking that question to people. A lot of times it's just like, oh, you have knee pain. We want to make the pain go away. But it's like, why is that knee pain affecting your life? And getting into those deeper conversations is important. And I think that's part of why I don't do the insurance thing anymore. Because insurance lets you do 30 minutes with a patient. Whereas my evals are 75 to 90 minutes because we talk for about 40 minutes to start to get a picture of what are we actually aiming for. So bring that back around. That's exactly what I was going to go into. I was just like, yeah, but how do you do that in 15 minutes? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. The good doctors I know are just constantly behind and, and people get annoyed because they get annoyed because they have to wait in the waiting room, but it's actually probably a good sign because the doctor is actually asking people for their, for their goals and that's just that's our a system. Good, that's a great broken. way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. The impatient me. I've never thought that way in a doctor's office, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt the next time around. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things that even as a practitioner, anyone that is servicing customers, so you don't have to be in the health and wellness space, but thinking about like the first time that somebody is coming to you, what are they feeling? They're nervous. They're anxious. They don't know who you are. They don't know how you're going to show up that day and getting them to open up around like what their daily lives are, especially if they have negative habits and they know they have negative habits. We're human. We all have them. 
if you want to do your job better, you got to know that. And I know I'm reluctant to like tell people right off the bat, like, yeah, this is how I did something or this is how I did something wrong. And when people get injured, that is a huge thing where it's just like, you immediately go into like, what's wrong with me? And why is this happening to me? And that's where with the, the medical system, I wish we could create some type of environment where it's really just, it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's an open environment to just share experiences. And this is what has happened to somebody. And this is how we're approaching it. And this is what has worked and what hasn't worked. And it's really like close knit of like people holding onto what they believe works and they want to push that on the world. Um, but I'd love to ask you because this has been, has come up multiple times. Is like in an ideal world, what would the environment look like? So if we're, if we're sitting here complaining, I never like to complain without like providing a solution. So if, if we're frustrated by how the system is, what would be an ideal change to it so that more people get better results? Yeah, that's a billion dollar question right there. I think it's a few things. I think one, and I'm not sure it's going to happen anytime soon, but I really wish gym class were just better for people. Like I wish gym class, you learned to either like mm. lift weights or learn something or like health class. Like I'm, I know more about STDs from health class than I didn't get anything about like anything to actually do with my health. Like nobody talked about <laughs> like heart rate or blood pressure. I just like got shown pictures of things to scare me. So I think kind of revamping like that would be a great thing. And that's probably not going to happen anytime soon because our educational system is a little bit of a mess right now. But I think that kind of redefining like exercise, like education that is out there, whether that be on social media or wherever people are digesting it, it comes down to that like we kind of need to make the basics a little more well known or continue to preach them in a way. So I think for most people, like they need to be doing some sort of resistance training two times a week and they need to be walking a certain amount of steps every single day. And that's really the foundation for most people to be really successful in exercise. I think the next step is just to get your heart rate up from time to time. And I would say the best way to do that is to play a sport that gets your heart rate up because you get to have fun and move in multiple directions. Like it doesn't need to be this cardio prescription of do something at your zone two heart rate for 40 minutes on a treadmill. Like that's tedious. Like the biggest mistake that people make in this industry is thinking that everyone is like us. So like you and I are not normal. Like it's not normal to like exercise this much and even talk about exercise this much. So we can't put our experiences and our expectations on our clients. Like we have to realize that they have their own interests. So let's make it as simple as possible and see how we can like dose that. I just think we need to increase that base level activity for most people. Like as lame as it is, the 10,000 steps a day, like that's a big thing for a lot of people. And then I think we just need to do some intelligent resistance training on top of that. And that needs to be all of two sets of 10 of, like I said, those four basic movements, that upper body push, pull, lower body, vertical, lower body, horizontal. I think we try to do this like, oh, these are the best exercises for this or people go and do these like super volume heavy workouts that it's just not necessary for them. So I think that's like the actionable thing to take away from it is like get really good at the basics. And then if you like it, sure, we can add in this cool stuff. You know, like you said, you do a lot of like 
cool movements on Instagram that are fun. Like I put up a lot of things that I use with my high level athletes and that's not necessarily what the average person needs to do. They just need to get really good at the basics. And I think we just need to almost redefine what the basics are for people. Oh, spent so much facts there. And I like the, that you use the word fun and then also the sports. So my, my brother uh, sent me his whoop score last night from he's playing pickup soccer and it was seven V seven and they only had five players and he was sending me like his heart rate from that game. And it's just like, shit, man, like how much better would I have been with technology and the recovery technology 10 years ago? And I think that's the beautiful part about where the world is going. Cause we, you are hundred percent right where we're just not normal. We're super passionate about this one thing. And what I'm realizing though, is like, a lot of companies now are catching on that they can make recovery and working out and things more fun. So I believe in the next couple of decades, like with this incentivization of making things more fun, like people will get healthier. I'm hopeful that we are kind of in the valley right now of how poor uh, Americans' health really is. I mean, we're our age that we're living to decreased for the first time um, in a long time, and then diabetes and cancer and heart attacks and obesity are increasing. But I think we're at this point where people are starting to catch on and more of the average person is catching on that, okay, I need to get out and and move and do at least a baseline. And that's where this conversation is super helpful because it can help that person with that baseline and where you're mentioning pillars of health. And for me, I just think we just need to get back to what we were because before like we're, we're sitting here at a desk, like being able to talk virtually, but you couldn't do that 50 years ago. So you were forced innately to like go move and not everybody had a car. Some more people were riding bikes and walking and getting out of their house every single day. If you're not doing that, then you're essentially changing what human nature is. And we need to get back to just what human nature was built to do and what our bodies were built to do. And I love how you've broken that down into push, pull, left, right, basic foundational movements for the human body. And if someone has that baseline, I'd love to wrap this combo with, I see your uh, freezer next to sit next to you. And we can't tell people to everyone to get in saunas and to get in ice baths and and to do these things. Again, we invest in them because we're really passionate. If you can invest in them, great. But what are some recovery practices that the average person can do to make sure that they are recovering from the baseline principles that you've been teaching here today. I think a lot of times we just need to be doing more activity. Like we almost need to earn the recovery that we're talking about. So companies like Whoop and Aura Ring and stuff like that, like it's cool that they've made recovery like more of a thing that people like you and me are potentially focusing on. But then I've seen the average person who like, took 3000 steps yesterday and didn't eat well, all of a sudden have a whoop score that's like really low because their heart rate was high because they were stressed out. And then they look at that and they go, oh, I need to recover today. But it's like you didn't do anything to recover from. So it's almost like creating a complex. There's this crazy study that we did on activity levels and nutrition. We as a broad term, but the community and the Amish are some of the healthiest people because of their activity level. But you look at their diet and their diet is 
it would kill you and me. Like it's full of gluten, it's full of sugar, it's full of dairy, like it's crazy, but they have very high quality of life and they have good longevity scores because of the amount of activity they do. So it's almost like we get so focused on like diet and recovery and things like that when we're probably just missing the forest through the trees there when we start to get into these recovery practices. So for like the average person, I would say like one, do enough activity to like earn your recovery. So, you know, a lot of times we'll like preach to people that they need to sleep more. Like sleep is cool now, thanks to that book, like why we sleep. But it's hard to tell a person who works a 12 hour day, gets 5,000 steps and like eats hot pockets and Cinnabons to like focus on their sleep first before they exercise. Like you'll see guidelines out there, like don't exercise if you got less than six hours of sleep. Well, that person like telling them to sleep better isn't going to help. So we need to like make sure they're doing something to earn their sleep. So like sleep is number one, but kind of earn your sleep. From there, I would say that like the biggest thing that most of us aren't doing is like breathing well. Like we're not breathing through our nose 99% of the time. So when we're breathing through our mouth, we tend to just signal to our body we are more stressed, we are in danger. Like that's a hardwired thing to like tell us we need to run away from danger. So if you can focus on like breathing through your nose and sleeping well, you're going to cover 90% of the bases. Then yeah, you can be like you and me and jump in the ice every now and then or do a sauna every now and then, like use a massage gun. Like all those things are great, but they are just their tip of the spear stuff. And most people just need to get good at the basics. So it's almost like I've said it to some people who are like having trouble with sleep. I'm like, go do more activity. It's so funny. Like I remember that, you know, that first Jocko podcast, like with Tim Ferriss, like seven years ago when like no one knew who Jocko was. And he basically was like, you know, you have to work so hard that you hit the pillow at the end of the day and you're just like lights out. And I, I just remember that sticking with me. And I'm sure you have those days where you work really hard, you do a lot of physical activity and you sleep like a baby and you didn't do, you might've skipped your nighttime sleep routine or something like that. But it's like, oh, I actually just needed the sleep. And I think a lot of people don't actually do enough to like earn their recovery. So hopefully that's not a, hopefully whoop doesn't come after me or something. No, I mean, this is all, the reason I have a whoop and I show people this uh, both in person and online is the training aspect because I need to throttle my training. So I need to throttle my output on my training rather than even looking at it from the sleep. Like I love your response. Like that, that is right in line with, with my beliefs and what I think is just not talked about enough. And it just goes back to like, we are sitting all day, most people. So it's just like, just move more and it'll fix a lot and move in a way that Kevin is teaching here with the principles of what that basic foundation is. But with the whoop, it's more so once you are someone that has the capacity and bandwidth like I do, it's more so making sure that I'm not overtraining and how that is affecting my sleep and making sure that I'm recovering. Cons consistency is, matters more to me than like some high output day and then like not being able to work out the next day because I work out seven days a week. So with my training, it's more about understanding like what's the output of every exercise each day. And that's really where most people aren't training enough to even operate in that way. So I love how you put that. And when it comes to the sleep aspect, it's most people aren't even thinking of their sleep as a recovery tool in the first place and just mentioning it, even if it's like, Hey, move more so that your sleep gets better. 
that's a recovery tool that is free and anybody can utilize. And I talk about it a lot. And then I like your tip of the spear analogy. It makes me think like most people don't even have a spear to throw. So when yeah. you first start with a spear, like if you just have a stone that's sharp, doesn't really help you. You need the full spear. And that is built around, are you moving enough to help your body regulate everything that you're doing in your everyday life? And most people aren't. They just aren't. They are taking in more calories than they're, than they're outputting. And if you dial down a lot of things in life, it's just simple inputs and outputs. And a lot of people are putting in the wrong things, whether it's digitally, they're ingesting the wrong things and consuming the wrong things, or it's their nutrition. And then their output is, is negative because of that. So I love this conversation and we always wrap in, in the same way. And if somebody else loved the conversation like I did and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. So, um, honestly, DM or email are great. So it's, um, Kevin Kirsch DPT on Instagram. Um, I like, uh, having good DM conversations there. Email is kkirschdpt at gmail.com. I'll always answer somebody there as well. And yeah, man, this was great. I really appreciate you having me on and having the conversation. I realized we could probably go forever, but um, oh, we could, yeah. there's lots of good stuff. I want to spend another hour because we didn't even get into the business side of things of like, how are you operating? What's your business model? How are you operating? And then uh, what were the pain points in that area? And then using social media, because I know the last time we chatted in person a while back, you were talking to a little bit about social media and the the hesitancy there. Um, but seeing you um, really grow and thrive and, and putting out some highly valuable um, content has been fulfilling to see. And I look forward to continue to supporting that. So yeah. last question that we always ask everybody is if I were to ask you, what does it mean to thrive? So what does thriving mean to you? Uh, how would you define that? I would define thriving as like being able to do everything you want to do and be able to do it well and know why you're doing it. So it's funny, like had this conversation with a couple of people yesterday. It's just like what you said, why are we doing what we're doing? And then defining that and then being able to do it well and figuring out what is preventing you from doing that well. So if it's something physical, maybe it's your training. If it's just like mental intention, maybe you just need to sit down and focus on that. My daughter's almost three months old now, so it's been pretty crazy to see that. And it's kind of flipped to the why a whole bunch. I'm sure, you know, that's nothing new to anyone, but it's like, okay, this, our lives are different. So why are we doing exactly what we're doing in this moment? And sometimes you have to back up and look at that. So I think it's knowing your why and then figuring out how you can do the why to your best of your ability. I love that response. Super simple. Do things and do them well. Yeah. I like that. And I always reflect on what my biggest takeaway was. And it came here at the end because now it has a thing, it has me thinking in a lot of different areas of my life that that spear, I tend to be, especially once you get to a high level of a certain area of your life, you tend to want to skip the foundation in other areas. So if you want to learn something new, I go towards like I just want that spear, the spearhead rather than reflecting and saying like, I didn't have the spearhead, let's say in fitness or in entrepreneurship until years of trial and error. Now, when I want to go learn how to shoot a bow an arrow later this year, which is one of my goals, I got to remember like, what is the foundation of that? It's probably not even picking up the bow and the arrow. It's like really like taking a step back and asking myself like, okay, why do I want to learn this trade? what would be the best way to get from A to B rather than always thinking about Z. And I think 
using a spearhead and a spear is a, is a good because I just have this picture in my head of somebody running around with a stone in their hand rather than like having a spear to chuck. And it's just like, that's how I feel like I'm going about a lot of areas of my life is just running around with these stones because I'm trying to over-optimize before I even like think through like, what is the foundation here? So really like that. Love everything you were saying. Again, if y'all like this conversation, go hit up uh, Kevin on Instagram. He's putting out a lot of good stuff and I look forward to seeing y'all again. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thriving Life Podcast. Dive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.